Welcome to the September 2023 edition of Agribusiness News, brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. Agribusiness News helps you to scan your horizon, prepare for industry changes, and keeps you abreast of the latest research and policy updates. Along with our regular monthly updates on policy briefs, arable, beef, sheep, and milk, in this edition, we're also bringing you two sector overviews on bull fertility and buffalo farming. We will also be bringing you news on alternative energy and decision-grade data from Nature Tech. Hello, my name is Anna Sellers and I am the editor of this month's edition. First up, we have this month's news. It has been a very variable growing season this year, with a cold and dry spring followed by a June heatwave and then a washout July and August. Not ideal for crops, and that is seen in the fields. Forage quality has been very variable and the last week busy with a scramble to bring in the grass while the weather stays drier. The Scottish farmer reported this week that beef and sheep carcass weights are down on the year, with slaughterhouse throughput up to compensate for reduced weights and maintain output tonnage. Cereals too are looking short following the cold, dry start to the year and changeable summer and cereal quality so far is varied. Early suggestions are that straw supply will be low and overall quality poorer and more varied than usual, not helped by a reduction in pig and poultry numbers affecting feed demand. In policy news, just this week, Scotland's Rural College published a series of reports presenting evidence and analysis to support rural and agricultural development policies for Scotland. The 12 reports and summaries can be found in the show notes. With a chunk of income coming in in the next few weeks, it is a good time of year to take stock ahead of purchasing winter supplies. This month's input cost article looks at low emissions heating options and funding sources for those looking to reduce energy bills in the long term. Next month's Management Matters article will take a deep dive into budgeting for the year ahead. Moving on to this month's policy briefs. Under the amended Home Office, Control of Poisons and Explosive Precursors Regulations 2023, from the 1st of October 2023, farmers, crofters and land managers will be required to provide photographic identification to purchase ammonium nitrate fertiliser with a nitrogen content of 16% or more. This applies to compounds, blends and NPK fertilisers containing ammonium nitrate above the 16% threshold. Blends containing straight ammonium nitrate with a base concentration of 34.5% will be over the threshold, even if the resultant blend is declared at less than 16% nitrogen. In seeking to tighten the controls for poisons and chemicals which can be used to make explosives, known as explosive precursors, the UK government has updated the Poisons Act 1972 to include new chemicals to the list of reportable and regulated substances. As a consequence, businesses supplying what are deemed to be explosives, precursors to professional users and other businesses must verify the legitimacy of the individual or business, hence the requirement for photographic ID. Examples of photographic identification can include passport, driving licence, trade identification card, business identification card. Other statutory information that will be required to purchase fertilisers with an ammonium nitrate content of 16% or greater will be the name and address of the purchaser, individual or named representative of a business, 
a statement of the nature of the business, customers, trade, business or profession or of the public function that the individual or company performs. And if BAT registered, the business customer's VAT registration number. While under the 2023 regulations, the required information does not need to be physically presented in person, as all the information must be recorded and retained for 18 months and available for police inspection, retailers may require photographic ID to be provided in person to ensure authenticity of the purchaser rather than a photograph of the ID being attached to an email. For further information of the forthcoming legislative changes, please visit the UK Government website. With the shooting season underway, the Wildlife Management and Muirburn Bill, currently at stage one of its journey through the Scottish Parliament, is seeking to implement recommendations for increased grouse moor management and trap regulations as set out in December 2019. While sustainable grouse moor management provides conservation benefits, particularly for ground nesting birds, birds of prey, rare moorland plants and pollinators, the bill aims to address illegal targeting of birds of prey and ensure that the management of grouse moors and related activities are carried out in an environmentally sustainable way. Under the current proposals, if the bill is passed, stricter rules will be introduced for Muirburn. A licence will be required to shoot red grouse and the use, purchase and possession of glue traps will be banned. A new licensing and training requirements will be introduced for certain types of wildlife traps. As part of the ongoing consultation process, the Scottish Government is currently seeking the public's views on whether there should be an outright ban on the use of snare traps or if any exemptions should be considered. Equally, opinions are being sought on extending the investigative powers of the SSPCA, which would involve giving inspectors more authority to search, examine and seize any evidence relating to incidences of illegal hunting and other offences. For further information, please visit Protecting Scotland's Wildlife on the Scottish Government's website. The consultation period ends on the 3rd of October 2023. If you have undertaken the animal health and welfare activities included in preparing for sustainable farming support, you can now make a claim at the Rural Payments website. Any farming or crofting business that has an active business reference number, is Rural Payments and Services online registered and has a flock or herd number can undertake up to two interventions in each scheme year of the programme. Each intervention will attract a standard payment of £250, with the first claim an additional £250 to cover personal development. The online claim platform has now been updated to allow claims for animal health and welfare claims to be submitted in addition to carbon audit and soil analysis support. Moving on to Arable. Whilst the wheat futures market has recently reflected escalations in the Black Sea region conflict, notably the drone attacks in the Danube and Odessa regions and the consequential risk to sea freight, laterally the focus has turned to US weather and its potential impact on global prices. The markets have managed to firm over the last fortnight on the back of these dry weather concerns, particularly relating to US spring crops 
and speculation of lower Australian and Canadian production has also brought some buying impetus to the market. London feed wheat November 23 futures stood at £190.85 on the 24th of August, up 2.11% since the 16th of August. The EU markets followed the trend, trading slightly higher week on week. EU wheat exports have got off to a slow start this season, down 20% at just over 4 million tonnes as demand for EU supplies remains limited. Russian crop estimates continue to rise and so therefore does the export potential, which may be pertinent as there is increased talk of an Indian-Russian trade deal due to weather-related lower crop on the Indian subcontinent. The EU wheat harvest tonnage output has been cut to 124.73 million tonnes, which is 5 million tonnes lower than previous estimates due to weather issues, especially in France. Germany has some sprouting problems in fields still to be cut due to the ongoing wet weather and they normally export a lot of bread-making wheat to the UK. These two countries, along with Canada, accounted for nearly 70% of UK imports last season and consequently could bolster milling premiums for UK growers that do manage to meet specifications. A frustrating and difficult harvest so far for Scotland Harvest. Any milling wheat is reported as very variable, with 12% protein and sub-10% protein common in Group 1 and 2 varieties respectively and hagbergs struggling where crops have been lodged. Distilling wheats need high starch levels relative to protein, so good grain-specific weight is desirable. Some may struggle at 72 kilograms per hectolitre. The spring barley crop is proving troublesome too, with secondary tiller growth resulting in uneven ripening and desiccation will be delayed into September for some as a result. So far, there has been mixed feedback for any spring barley harvested. Screenings are ranging from 5 to 20%. Skinning is in evidence and there are concerns over grain germination capacity. However, maltsters are reluctant to change their specifications for quality before the bulk of the spring barley harvest is in the shed and can be assessed. In summary, premiums are very strong and look overvalued amid low demand And at these levels, the market is quickly finding the flexibility to fill in any supply side issues. The EU, for example, sourcing six row varieties from France into Northern Europe. For UK growers, it'll be essential going forward to ascertain quality before marketing, both to optimise premiums on the upside and protect against claims on the downside. UK all-seed rape yields are being reported as below the five-year average, 3.3 tonnes per hectare, at between 2.7 to 3 tonnes per hectare. Europe appears to have fared better both on yield and oil content and prices have drifted lower as a result. Longer-term values will build in the output achieved from Australia and Canada's harvests. The EU supply side will however remain underpinned by high opening stocks and substantial imports continuing from Ukraine. Over the next decade, the FAO report the cereal production is expected to increase by 
almost half of this production increase will come from maize, while wheat and rice account for about 20% each, and other coarse grains account for the remaining 10%. More than half of the increase in wheat will come from India, Russia and Canada. The United States, China and Brazil will account for more than half of the increase in maize production. For other coarse grains, including barley and oats, the major increase in production will be in India, Sub-Saharan Africa, Ethiopia and Canada. World cereal trade is projected to increase by 15% by 2031. Wheat will contribute about 40% to this increase, while maize, rice and other coarse grains account for 30%, 16% and 80% respectively. Russia will remain the largest wheat exporter, accounting for 22% of global exports by 2031. The United States will remain the leading exporter of maize, followed by Brazil, Argentina and Ukraine. Throughout June and July, dead weight beef prices in Scotland have fallen significantly from a peak of 525 pence per kilogram at the beginning of June. Beef prices have continued to fall throughout August as a result of larger supplies, lower import prices and poor consumer demand due to school holidays, with consumers holidaying abroad. 469 pence per kilogram deadweight is now being quoted in Scotland for R4L steers. It is anticipated that once schools return in September, prices will increase. Going forward, cattle numbers will continue to tighten due to the peak young bull selling period now over and supplies of spring 2021 born cattle dwindling. Lower cattle availability will offer support to price as processors look to increase prices in order to secure cattle. Despite a fall in finished price, trade for store cattle has remained fairly steady. With July weather hampering combines rolling out sheds, store cattle were keenly bid for. However, good weather in recent weeks has seen store trade dip slightly as harvest keeps buyers away from the ring. Demand continues to be high for shorter keep stores, whilst smaller stores are noticeably cheaper. English buyers continue to support Scottish store sales, with availability south of the border and TB risks, meaning finishers are coming north. This is encouraging to keep the market healthy as we head towards the big autumn calf sales, where some finishers could well be cautious off the back of the falling beef price and with several finishers having made a loss on store cattle bought at their highest levels back in the spring. Although variable costs such as feed and fertiliser have started to return to a reasonable level, margins remain tight across many farms as labour and veterinary costs remain high, with bank interest rates increasing. Cull cow values have seen a sharp fall in the first half of August. With no barbecue weather and consumers abroad, retail demand for manufacturing beef has not been there. With numbers available for slaughter reported to be trending seasonally higher, there are still farmers looking to sell older, less productive animals. It is unlikely that prices will rise in the coming weeks. And with milk prices looking to drop, cull cow numbers could quickly rise.
For those of spring carvers, scanning early to get empty cows offloaded before any potential dip in trade pre-housing when seasonally higher numbers of cows are expected would be advised. Going forward, farm businesses will need to plan ahead and budget, however difficult this might be due to market volatility. Why not try listening to one of the other Farm Advisory Service podcasts? Why don't you check out Crofting Matters, which covers a wide range of topics which are croft-related, including succession, tax and VAT for crofters, and obtaining a croft. Moving on to sheep. With a warm and wet summer, there is plentiful grass across the countryside. This availability of grass is driving people to the store lamb rings, maintaining prices at similar levels to last year. However, the wait for the BPS loan payments and the effects of the high interest rates on borrowing money and market finance can be seen in breeding sheep and cup sales. With the drive for cash flow, some are selling store lambs earlier than normal. These may have been third or fourth draw lambs in previous years, with a lack of bloom to them, which is creating a firm bottom end of lambs at sale. The cull trade has dropped gradually since May, with weaning progressing well in the late lambing flocks. There are more leaner type upland and hill ewes coming forward, which has dented the high averages we have seen over the last number of months. This high supply of ewes will continue now through to October, which will continue to suppress the trade. French lamb remains at the top of the pricing table with a premium. Week ending 12th of August at €8 per kilogram dead weight, compared to a very similar €8.02 per kilogram dead weight for the same period last year. The Spanish product is at a reduced premium at €6.74 per kilogram dead weight for the same week, was €6.77 per kilogram dead weight the same period in 2022. Looking at the other end of the table is the Australian lamb, which for the week ending 12th of August was trading at an incredibly low rate of €2.8 per kilogram dead weight, compared to €5.09 per kilogram dead weight in the same period last year. The Australian flock has undergone flock expansion in recent years, and a large stock of lambs is now coming forward following a period of poor weather meaning a greater supply of lambs, at the same time as a drop in demand from the Chinese market. Looking at the price differentiation between exporting countries, we can see how attractive in price the Australian and New Zealand lamb is, which will result in more volume being exported to the EU and the UK, which could result in the volume exported from the UK to the EU being distorted and our price decreasing. At a time when more lambs may be coming to the EU from other sources, it is worth highlighting that the EU flock is declining. They have suffered an extraordinarily hot and droughted summer, which has affected production negatively and some Spanish flocks have had losses from the sheep pox virus, all of which is speeding up the decline of the European flock. Consumption of sheep meat is not forecast to decline like other red meats, due to being favoured culturally and for religion. The European Commission have estimated that imports of sheep meat will increase by 12% this year, 
mainly from the UK and New Zealand. Now, let's move on to bull fertility. Performance of suckler herds has never been more important as increased input costs continue to put pressure on businesses and squeeze margins. Improving on-farm efficiencies such as herd fertility strongly correlates with reduced production costs per kilogram of beef sold. Improving performance within a beef herd relies on optimal fertility. Many farmers have taken advantage of the attractive cull cow price over the past 18 months, opting to cull poor and underperforming animals in order to improve efficiency. However, how many farmers have semen-tested stock bulls to identify underperforming and subfertile bulls? Subfertility can affect up to 25% of bulls, with there being no guarantee that a bull will retain fertility from one breeding season to the next. Therefore, it is vital that you know if bulls are capable of doing their job. For those herds who are rotating bulls, the severity of bull infertility could well be masked, as you may not be aware there is an issue and could still be losing performance. Bull infertility is costly, resulting in reduced calf output through having less calves to sell and lighter calves at weaning due to calves being born later. Bull fertility is key to maintaining a tight calving period. When the cost of heifer replacements is considered, then the potential cost of one bull's reduced fertility could run into thousands of pounds. This can easily be increased if there's more than one subfertile bull in the herd. To ensure suckler cow fertility is not compromised, semen testing is an essential part of maximising herd performance and calves reared. In a three-year trial by SRUC vet Ian McCormick, it has been found that on average one in five bulls fail a fertility test, irrespective of age or breed, with young bulls failing as much as older stock bulls. Routine annual testing of bulls is something which more herds are carrying out. There is funding available for assessment of bull fertility and bull pre-breeding examination as part of the Scottish Government's Preparing for Sustainable Farming under the Animal Health and Welfare Interventions aimed at better production efficiency. More information is available in the show notes and please consult your vet if you're interested in bull fertility testing. With the autumn bull sales only weeks away, now is the time to semen test stock bulls so problems can be picked up on and a new stock bull bought ahead of the next breeding season. For those bulls still running with cows, semen test when bulls are taken out, as pregnancy scanning reports a historic event, and so will not prevent the problem of empty cows if bull fertility is the problem. Buying a stock bull is an important decision. Breeding decisions made at these autumn bull sales will impact the herd's productivity and efficiency for the future. A bull bought in 2023 will not have calves on the ground until 2025, with these calves not finished until 2026 at the earliest. If heifer calves are retained for breeding, their calves won't be on the ground until 2027 at the earliest. Breeding decisions made today have a major impact on the future of a herd. Therefore, it is important that farmers look to the future. Take time to evaluate 
what rules at the upcoming autumn sale offer your herd to ensure the investment will have a positive impact. Remember, a bull brought to breed heifer replacements will have his genetics in the herd for potentially the next 10 years. The use of EBVs can help in choosing a stock bull to identify how the bull's offspring should perform productively. EBVs are not comparable across different breeds. The figures allow comparison of genetic traits of bulls within a breed type. All breeds have different values as their average. The importance of EBVs will depend on whether the bull is being selected as a terminal or maternal sire. These figures should be used alongside visual assessment of the bull considering confirmation, locomotion, scrotal size and shape. Scrotal size is linked to fertility. Bulls with increased scrotal size are likely to produce males with increased sperm quantity and quality with early puberty in heifers being strongly linked to the scrotal circumference of their sire. Negative sentiment in dairy markets continue. Milk volumes are still in the seasonal decline, but production is still slightly ahead of last year. Most processors are holding their milk price for September, despite further drops in wholesale prices and the GDT auction. Grass growth rates are still well above the four-year average at 58.9 kilograms dry matter per hectare as of the 21st of August. Average grass crude protein content across dairy, beef and sheep farms was 18.5% with an ME of 10.5 megajoules per kilogram dry matter. Based on this, a 650 kilogram spring calving dairy cow consuming 13.5 kilograms dry matter of grass will produce just M plus 12.6 litres from grass alone, three litres less than in July. As always, this is just a guide and milk from grass will very much depend on your own grass quality and availability. It is worth getting fresh grass analysed to ensure grazing cows are not underfed energy at this time of year. The average UK milk price for July 2023 was 36.11 pence per litre, down 0.37 pence per litre from June and 23% lower than July 2022. Milk prices are more stable, with more processors holding their August price for September, with fewer price reductions announced across the UK. Please note that the following milk prices are in pence per litre. First Milk Manufacturing, 36.85 Muller, 36.75 Graham's, 36.0 Arla Farms Manufacturing, 35.21 Lactalis, 35.5 U-Tree Dairy, 36.0 Trade in dairy commodity prices has continued to be quiet over the summer holiday period, with prices of all products slightly back on last month, on the back of subdued demand, lower wholesale prices in the EU and a further fall in the latest GDT auction. Both market indicators, AMPE and MCVE, fell for July 2023, reflecting decreases in the commodity prices and are on average 5 pence per litre less than six months ago.
The latest GDT auction on the 15th of August crashed 7.4% from the previous event to an average of $2,875 per tonne. There was an average price of $3,289 per tonne on the 18th of July. Only Cheddar returned a positive price movement, up 5.8% to $4,127 per tonne, while whole milk powder, skimmed milk powder and butter fell 10.9%, 5.2% and 3% respectively. Over the next six months, variable costs are thought to be slightly lower than previously, but volatility will remain with the biggest impact likely to come from any extreme weather events, developments in the Ukraine war and changes to oil output, which could impact on energy costs. External factors will have more impact on our dairy markets than domestic production or events. With the European market heavily influencing the UK market and EU milk production up 0.8% in the first six months of this year. According to the Dairy Group, the prediction for the rest of the 2023-24 milk year is that continuing high costs will mean negative cash flows for many and only the top 25% of producers are likely to make a profit. Farmers are feeling the pressure not only from the low milk price in relation to the cost of production, but from trouble sourcing labour and investment costs to conform to new slurry storage regulations. A recent survey of 590 dairy farmers by the NFU revealed that 20% were unsure if their business would continue past 2025, and 9% said they would likely stop by 2025. Now, let's move on to buffalo farming. European water buffalo currently provide 11% of the world's milk supply and this volume is growing. While famous for mozzarella production in Italy, given their preference for wet climates and grass diets, they are no stranger to the UK being kept for both milk and meat production. Like cattle, water buffalo are ruminant herbivore mammals. Although they perform well on high-input, intensive systems as seen in Italy, they can also thrive on low-input, low-quality, fibrous forage, converting grass efficiently to milk and muscle. Water buffalo can digest rougher forages than cattle, linked to having a higher rumen pH together with a larger population of rumen bacteria. Water buffalo cannot be crossed with other cattle or bison. While rotating bulls is a normal practice in UK, AI is also used. After a gestation period of 310 days, buffalo will carve themselves and many herds have a 95-100% to calving percentage. Buffalo are naturally fertile and will conceive within the first or second cycle with the bull. Cows can live up to 25-30 to 30 years reaching 500 to 750 kilograms live weight. Buffalo heifers mature early and like beef and dairy cows can be bulled successfully at 13 to 14 months to calve down at two years old. Buffalo need to be health monitored for all the things cattle are, such as BVD, TB, yonis, IBR, leptospirosis, etc. In general, Buffalo are a more disease-resistant, worm-resistant species, 
requiring very little intervention. Unlike dairy cows, they have very few feet issues. In the UK, while there are farms that have complex concentrate diets and produce high yields, over 12 litres per day, and a good growth rates, over 1.5 kilograms per day, these results have also been achieved on grass-based systems and established herds with good genetics. From a grazing perspective, generally, water buffalo can be reared on any grass system, including strip and rotational grazing, and they respect and move well with an electric fence. While the high melanin concentration in the skin of water buffalo provides them with increased protection against ultraviolet radiation, they have a less efficient evaporative cooling system than cattle due to their poor sweating ability. However, as their black skin is rich in blood vessels, it conducts and radiates heat efficiently, making them cool off faster than cattle in the shade. Practical experience has shown that wallowing areas are not essential, but the buffalo will appreciate it if you can provide them mud scrapes and a water pool, especially on a hot day. Buffalo are intelligent animals. They communicate via grunts and snorts, but normally they are very quiet grazers and shed occupiers. While their inbuilt cooling system means that they do not need to have their back shaved when housed for the winter, Clipping tails helps to reduce the risk of mastitis. Buffalo can be milked by robots, rotary, herringbone or tandem parlours, but establishing suitable milking routines requires time and expertise as they differ from those used with cows. The lactation period is 270 days, while highest yields are generally achieved during the third lactation Buffaloes have greater longevity than dairy cows, with buffalo herds often having cows with 15 consecutive lactations. Upside, buffalo milk can be 25% milk solids linked to the very high fat content, twice that of a dairy cow's milk. And the fat to protein ratio is about 2 to 1, with a higher casein to protein ratio. Downside, average yields 10 litres per day. The high calcium content of casein facilitates cheese making, which is the dominant product from UK farms followed by ice cream and bottled milk. The raw milk can be worth from 75 pence per litre to over a pound per litre, depending on contract and supply. Calf birth weights range from 35 to 45 kilograms. While water buffalo have their iconic horns, many farmers, for health and safety reasons, dehorn calves at birth. Following seven days colostrum and early milk, calves move on to milk replacer, normally sheep milk, for 10 weeks, supplemented with hay and concentrates. Calves are normally weaned from six months. Animals for beef can be finished at similar ages to cattle, with both sexes fat at 20 to 30 months and at weights from 500 to 750 kilograms depending on daily life weight gains. In Italy, some finish at 14 months but are lower weights. Buffalo has a similar kill-out percentage to cattle at around 50% and are sold at prices in line or higher with the top cattle trade.
the carcasses go to retail or private sales. In Scotland, there is only one abattoir that can kill buffalo. Now, let's move on to alternative energy. Scotland has made significant progress over recent years to increase its renewable output, with renewable electricity generation equivalent to approximately 97% of Scotland's gross electricity consumption. However, decarbonising our heat sector has been more of a challenge, with key targets missed. Providing more sustainable options to meet our heat demand is essential to meet our climate change targets. It is estimated that 20% of Scotland's carbon emissions are as a result of heating buildings. The Scottish Government is implementing policies and proposals to help accelerate this. Scotland's Energy Strategy and Just Transition Plan aims that by 2030, Scotland's main energy using sectors, including heating buildings, transport, industry and agriculture, will be using energy more efficiently and be largely decarbonised. New buildings will not be able to have gas boilers from April 2024 and a current consultation on energy performance certificate reform is seeking views ahead of the introduction of new legislation. You can find out more information on this consultation in the show notes. These will all have consequences for both business and domestic properties, including agriculture. Heat demand on farms and crofts can be high for numerous reasons, including heating animal sheds, drying grain or cleaning. Only around 11% of Scottish households currently have a renewable or low emission heating system. What technology is right for you will depend on heat demand, existing infrastructure and buildings. Firstly, improving energy efficiency and insulation on buildings will help to minimise heat loss and make best use of heat generation. However, this will have additional costs. Heat pumps are a popular option. Heat pumps still require electricity to operate, but less than would be required for direct electric heating. If you're using electricity from your own renewables, then these running costs can drop dramatically. Heat pumps are very efficient, providing approximately three units of heat for every unit of electricity, with ground and water source being more efficient than air source. However, heat pumps are more expensive than conventional boilers. They can be retrofitted to existing buildings and can also contribute to cooling requirements. They produce heat at lower temperatures, therefore you need larger radiators and properties and they won't meet your total heat demand for all processes. For example, grain drying, but can help meet part of it. Green hydrogen created from renewable electricity is another potential way of storing large amounts of energy. At present, it is more efficient to use the electricity used to create hydrogen to heat our homes directly or power heat pumps. Hydrogen for heating is not currently expected to be central in decarbonising our heat demand. However, trials are being undertaken to assess the potential for mixing hydrogen into the existing gas grid and the use of hydrogen boilers in homes for space 
and water heating are being developed. Heat and Energy Efficiency Scotland is a new agency being developed to coordinate heat decarbonisation in Scotland. It aims to reduce Scotland's contribution to climate change by 2045 by making Scotland's homes and buildings cleaner, greener and easier to heat. Different types of support may be available depending on if it's a domestic or business property. Business Energy Scotland offers interest-free loans plus cashback grants for various renewable heat, including biomass, solar thermal and heat pumps and energy efficiency measures. Home Energy Scotland has a grant of £7,500 to cover the cost of heat pump technology with additional money for homes that qualify for rural uplift. There are potential changes on the horizon to be aware of and plan ahead for. Assessing your heat demand as sustainable options to meet this can benefit your business by helping to improve the overall farm carbon footprint and efficiency. Finally, we'll move on to the decision grade agenda from NatureTech. NatureTech are digital technologies and tools that help us protect and restore our natural environment. NatureTech promises to help investments in nature-based solutions and projects by easier to justify, by providing better clarity about their impact over time and by helping make them more cost-effective. Satellite rainforest monitoring and remote sensing drones are trusted technologies. Whilst remote and satellite sensing can help with some aspects of measuring, reporting and verifying of the state of nature, biodiversity is location specific. So the state of environmental and ecosystem assets must be assessed in up-close local context. Nature tech is a cost-effective way of doing this, but inexpensive sensors of the type likely to be deployed on farms to count numbers of animal species like audio recorders and digital measuring devices such as camera traps and mobile apps can lack credibility as comparable, trustable data sources. This is because there are no consistent or standardised processes for authenticating, calibrating and validating them or for guaranteeing their cybersecurity. This is compounded when each device manufacturer has different methods and bespoke measurement units. Nature-based solutions projects arising from the restoration of natural assets are now increasingly recognised as environmental opportunities which can attract public payments and private investment. The finance sector has called for decision-grade asset-level data about nature projects in order to facilitate their investment decisions and reporting to investors. Without high-quality, trustable digital data, public and private sector investors in nature uplift projects could demand more expensive or time-intensive manual survey methods to demonstrate improvement. This can make projects financially non-viable for farmers and land managers. Lauriston Farm in Edinburgh is currently collecting data. SRUC researchers have made a 22-minute documentary with the team, providing a case study which explains why it is useful to invest in data collection to establish baselines and prove changes through time. 
The link to the video can be found in the show notes. In the video, the Lauriston Farm Team and their investor, Federated Hermes Limited, discuss how they are collecting decision-grade data to prove the social, economic and environmental impacts of the regenerative agriculture and community engagement practices. Some data collection is being done with Nature's Tech. How do you get started with Nature's Tech? 1. Decide to develop a nature improvement project. 2. Plan what you need to measure to show improvement and ask what data funders and investors want to see. 3. Investigate if Nature Tech could do the measurements more cheaply and more trustworthy than manual methods. 4. If it can, buy the tech, then set it up, calibrate it and deploy it securely. Find out more at Decision Grade IoT website, which is shown in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening to this audio edition of the September 2023 Agribusiness News. Remember to like Agribusiness News to get notified of future episodes of this monthly podcast. This edition was edited by Anna Sellers and included articles written by Christine Beaton, Mark Bauscher-Gibbs, Sarah Balfour, Kirsten Williams, Lorna McPherson, Jack Munro, Ian Boyd and Hannah Rudman. Presented by myself, Tiffany Stevenson, and produced by Alistair Trail.